Yankee Hotel Foxtrot is the fourth album by the band Wilco. It was first unofficially released on September 18, 2001. Recording for Yankee Hotel Foxtrot began in the middle of the year 2000. These recording sessions, which are fantastically documented in the film I Am Trying to Break Your Heart, were marred by conflicts both internal and external, including a switch in drummers mid-recording, as well as the band and engineers arguing over the songs and the sound. Despite this, the album would be completed early in 2001, and Yankee Hotel Foxtrot showcased a more atmospheric and experimental sound of Wilco than they had ever previously put on any other album. It also would mark the band's first album with drummer Glenn Coach and would be their last with multi-instrumentalist and songwriter Jay Bennett. Their record label at this time, Reprise Records, hated Yankee Hotel Foxtrot so much so that they refused to release it and pretty much gave away all the rights to it to the band itself. The band, in turn, would stream the entire album for free on September 18, 2001, being one of the very first musical artists to do so. And in November of 2001, Wilco signed with Nonsuch Records, who finally gave Yankee Hotel Foxtrot its first official release on April 23, 2002. The album went on to receive widespread critical acclaim and is highly regarded as one of, if not the best album of the last 20 years. On today's episode, special guest co-host Charles Harold Nye explore this album and rank all 11 songs on it. So go ahead and fall in love with the drummer because this is That One Show, episode 14. Wilco's Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. Welcome to episode 14 of that one show. I have guest co-host Charles Harold with me today. How are you? I'm doing well, Brian. Thank you for inviting me on. I'm looking forward to this conversation about Wilco. Yeah, I've been very much looking forward to this episode. I had it uh, at the beginning of the season. I mapped out 15 or 20 different shows I'd want to do, and I this was one I was very much looking forward to. Uh, and I reached out to a mutual f- friend of ours, Chase, uh, and he suggested that I bring you on, and that was a great suggestion. I hadn't thought of that, but I'm glad you've joined us today. We're going to talk about specifically Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, it being the 20th anniversary of its official release. It was re- released unofficially uh, a few months prior to its official release, but we'll get into that, I'm sure. But before we actually get into the album, let's uh, each of us speak on our history uh, with the band Wilco. How were you introduced to them? Okay, I've got a pretty good story for this. How did I discover Wilco? Uh, 
obviously had heard of Wilco. Um, anybody that lives in central or eastern Kentucky will probably know what I'm referencing, but the Lexington Herald <laughs> later used to publish uh, a Weekender uh, supplement in their Friday newspaper. And there was a critic named Walter Tunis that reviewed a lot of music. And Wilco was a band that he definitely championed from day one. Uh, I think he was an Uncle Tupelo fan even before that. And I had read his reviews, even bands that I didn't know anything about. And I think like you, Brian, you know, we were big into the alternative 90s music. Uh, I know we've known each other a long time and we, we had very similar taste. So Wilco was a band that I knew about, but I had not researched, had not expanded my musical horizons. So 2002, uh, a friend of mine calls me up and she says, do you want to go to a concert with me? And of course, that's a dangerous question to you know who the act is. And she and I said, uh, who who's playing? And she said, Wilco. And I said, okay. And I thought immediately Walter Tunis, you know, big champion of the band. And I said, where's the concert at? She said, Louisville. So I thought about it and I was like, sure, it was a sum, it was summertime, and I think the concert was in two or three days. She had a ticket, and I said, Yeah, let's go, let's do it. So we went, we drove to Louisville. I wasn't expecting much necessarily. Um, I was still very limited, I think, in how open I was to different sounds. The concert was at the Brown Theater in Louisville, for anybody that's familiar with that, a really nice venue, a really historic venue. I think maybe um, where the Hot Brown supposedly originated, you know, for uh, foodies out there. Uh, so we watched the show. Um, Anyway, I'll try to make this a quick uh, summary, but uh, the first song was I'm Trying to Break Your Heart. And as soon as uh, Glenn Kochi hit the drums and Jeff said, I'm an American aquarium drinker, I was, the rest of the show was just money. And I was just blown away. I had, she played a little bit of their music for me on the drive down. I think she had being there in the vehicle but of course we were talking the whole trip too and they just really just blew me away that show so really your first time actually hearing them was live yep absolutely that, that's crazy that's crazy uh i was actually introduced to them with the same album around the same time but a little differently uh i attended college at moorhead state university and we had on Main Street there a record store called Main Street Music. And me being a music freak, I went there almost every day just to talk to the guys behind the counter because they shared my passion and love for music. And I built a relationship with them over time in which I trusted their recommendations because they knew what I liked. And I remember I went in there one day and the guy said, man, we've just got a stack of CDs of this album in. I listened to it earlier. You've got to just go ahead and buy one straight and just take it with you. And I mean, I was poor back in that days and CDs were like 15, sometimes 20 bucks. So it wasn't an easy thing for me to do to drop that on that particular CD, but I, I cold bought it, took it back to my dorm. And like you, the first thing I heard was I'm an American aquarium drinker. And I, I just immediately got chills. I was like, man, this is different. This is because like you just said, up until that point, I mean, I listened to alternative 90s or grunge or whatever you want to call it for 99% of my listening habits and this this was really different and I listened to the album all the way through and then I put on a pair of old school headphones and plugged it into the little port 
on my CD player and listen to it with headphones, which actually sounded better than, you know, just listening to it with, you know, with external speakers. And I was like, man, there is so much on this album. I have honestly heard, heard anything like this. So, I mean, it legitimately changed how I listened to music and what I listened for in music and what I thought you could do in a recording studio. And you mentioned that you saw them, uh, you know, your introduction to them was live. Have you seen them since live? I have, yes. Uh, I have seen Wilco live a total of four times. Uh, obviously, the first show was July 2002, and it was the Yankee Hotel Foxtrot uh, tour. The album had been out for a few months, and actually they had played several concerts in Europe before I saw them, and actually had toured quite a bit in the States by then. Um, and they played, I believe, eight tracks from Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, so eight of the 11. Uh, and actually there's two, I, I looked this up last night, I tried to come prepared for this. So there, there are two songs from that album I have not seen them play live and that would be Poor Places and Pot Kettle Black. Uh, so eight of the uh, nine songs that I have seen them play live, they played during that very first concert. I've seen them three more times. Uh, the next two were the same tour, which was the Schmilko tour. In 2017, I went to also a different Louisville venue, the Iroquois Amphitheater, really nice place to yeah. see a show. Uh, that was a great time. Went with my friend Dave, and actually me and my wife went to Asheville, North Carolina in October 2017, and we saw Wilco at the Thomas Wolf Auditorium. Anybody that knows Asheville, I mean, they've got a great music scene there. And something I want to mention about that show in particular that really stands out, and I would encourage anybody listening to go seek this out on YouTube. It is, it, it I, I don't know, I, maybe it hit me hard because of he just passed, and that night was just kind of magical. It was the second to last song they played. I believe they finished up with The Late Greats, which is a, 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 a pretty frequent concert closer. But they played... The Waiting by Tom Petty, who had just died about a week or maybe 10 days, two weeks prior to, and it was a fantastic cover. And I mean, I just, even now I've got that video like queued up on YouTube and I still go back and watch it. It was great. And then the last time I saw them was November 2019, also in Louisville, and that was at the famed Louisville uh, Palace uh, with my buddy Dave, too. We went there and... Uh, and Brian knows this because I've messaged him about this band, and he I know he's a big fan now, too. The opener that night was a band from Washington State called Deep Sea Diver. Fantastic. Can't recommend them enough. Go check out Deep Sea Diver if you haven't done so. Yeah, you actually introduced me to that band, and I appreciate that because they quickly became one of my new favorites. Uh, and... As far as my live history with Wilco, I've only got to see them twice. The first time was on a triple headlining tour, them, My Morning Jacket, and Bob Dylan, which oh, was wow. unbelievable. It was wow. at Riverbend in Cincinnati, uh, I think in 2015, the summer of 2015. And uh, they all played about 90 minutes, which is a little bit shorter than if Wilco were just by themselves or just a headliner with an opener. But... You got 90 minute sets from three of my favorite artists. And all three didn't play together, but at uh at the end of Wilco's set, they went second. 
they they did some jamming on a couple songs with my morning jacket which was incredible awesome uh and then i saw them last year in iowa with our friend chase i had some airline credit that from for some flights that had been canceled due to covid and i had to use it and i and he said man i've got this extra ticket uh, so i cashed in my airline points and i flew to iowa and spent a couple of days with him and watched them and trampled by turtles open and it was a fantastic show but they're coming to Cincinnati in August, and I'm going to try to make it happen. I hope to get to go see them there. I wish I could have saw them. They played a handful of anniversary shows in which they played this entire album in Chicago and New York, but I just couldn't make it happen. Uh, it's a little bit too far away, and my schedule was a little bit too crazy. But uh, if, I, if I could have, I would have definitely went to one of those. But we will now take a very quick break, and then we're going to come back, and Charles and I are each going to rank the songs on Yankee Hotel Foxtrot 11 through 1 and talk about each of those a little bit uh, in depth. We are back and we will get right into it. Uh, we're going to rank the songs 11 through 1 and I'll preface this. I'm not going to speak for Charles, but this isn't a best to worst. It's pretty much... You know, all of them, there's no right or wrong answer here. And I don't really have anything negative to say about any of these songs. So I'm going to, you know, talk glowingly about all 11 of them. But I will let Charles go first with his number 11. Okay, and I, I echo that, Brian. It's certainly a great to a little bit slightly greater, I would say. That's going to be this list. So when he told me, you know, to, you know, he gave me a few notes before we sat down to record this. And he mentioned ranking the songs, and I was like, this task is going to cause me a great deal of inner anguish. And it did indeed. Uh, I was working on it the, late last night, but uh, to just jump right into it, number 11, as much as it pains me, I'm going to say Heavy Metal Drummer. And, uh, you know, Brian and I have talked about it a little bit just before the show. I think Heavy Metal Drummer is a little bit more of a direct song. It's awesome. I love the song. They've played it um, at three of the four shows I've seen, and it's always a big hit with the audience. People are singing along to it. It's great. And if you've seen the Wilco documentary, I'm Trying to Break Your Heart by Sam Jones, it, one of the most memorable things is watching Jeff Tweedy and Jay Bennett in the studio sort of laboring over the tiny little fragment that opens it with the, with the drum beat, uh, just tinkering with it ever so slightly, trying to find the exact right way for it to start. And it just really shows the dedication of those two men and how locked in they were in making this one of the great greatest albums that's ever been made. I'll hold my thought on Heavy Metal Drummer just because I have it a little higher. Uh, my number 11 is the closing track, Reservations. Okay. And uh, it's not that I don't like that song. I really do. It, now, it is, uh, you know, you have to be dedicated to to want to listen to this entire album, uh, first and foremost. There's not a lot of songs that are under four or five minutes, and this one in particular is around seven minutes. But the only reason why I rank it 11th is because I always get sad when it's over because that means yeah. the album has ended. Yeah. But, uh, you know, on this particular song, you know, and, and a lot of the songs on this album, they're open to interpretation, but the way I read this particular one it's probably about jeff's anxiety and depression which he's been open about he's wrote a book he's done interviews in which he's mentioned it so that's not something i'm talking out of school over 
But to me, it's someone who's just so anxious over everything, including the little things, that they have reservations about any decision that they are going to have to make in a given day. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I've been open about my struggles in the past with that, so I identify with it. Uh, and I'm going to play just a little bit of it uh, for our audience that may not have heard it. And let me say this before I do this. I always play 30-second samples of the songs that we talk about on here for the pure fact that that's all I can get by with legally. If I go over that, the artist can actually come in and say, hey, you've got to give us royalties. And none of these songs are done justice in 30-second samples. In fact, none of these songs are actually done justice if you just listen to them by themselves. This is one of the few albums that is meant to be listened to in its entirety. And like Charles said, they labored over the nuances of this album and the songs, and there's no doubt that the order in which these songs appear on the album are done that for a purpose. So even though we're going to play samples for you today, I very much recommend if you've never heard this album, it's available on any streaming service that you use. As soon as this particular podcast is over, get on there and listen. But here is a little bit of reservations, and then we'll get on to our number 10 song. Okay, now it is time for our 10th favorite song off of Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. And uh, I guess we'll take turns starting. So I'll go first this time. Uh, mine is Radio Cure. Uh, and like we've said, and we'll probably keep saying, it's not a bad song at all. It's a great song. And I have, you know, listened to this song as I have the whole album countless times over the last 20 years. But I... And pretty confident in saying, I think that this song is about someone who is self-medicating through music. Uh, and what I mean by that, I feel that anybody that listens to music sometimes does it to either make themselves feel better or to make themselves feel sadder if they're, you know, experiencing a hardship in life. Maybe it be a breakup or a death of a loved one or anything like that. And I just feel that probably uh, Radio Cure being the title radio cure you know a cure for whatever ails you it can be a song on the radio uh but that's my interpretation of radio cure so charles what is your 10th favorite song okay once again uh labored over this number 10 i went with war on war okay hold, hold your thoughts just real quick on that because okay. i want to go ahead and play a little bit of war on war okay. before you before you get into it okay absolutely let's do it
So that was a little bit of War on War. I'm going to let Charles expand on his thoughts on this particular track at this time. All right, so War on War, if I'm not mistaken, was the only officially released single from Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. I could be wrong about that. You're actually right. I looked that up earlier okay. today. cool, cool. And that's funny because, you know, from an, a, a record label standpoint, and there's a million stories about the record label, and we'll go over this particular album. That would not be one that you would probably... Uh, you know, release as yeah. the debut single from yeah. this particular album. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, matter of fact, I, if I was picking one from a record company standpoint, it would probably be Heavy Metal Drummer, which was yeah. your eleventh uh, one, because yeah. it's probably the most accessible to the casual music listener. I think it is. But uh, yeah, but go on about War on War, the only official single from this album. Okay, uh, I guess the thing I would touch on, just sort of uh, piggybacking off what you just said, uh, which is I think is a really good observation. Um, War on War uh, was their single. If anybody knows the history of Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, or, or maybe not, I'll give you the quick version of it. So Wilco was signed to uh, Reprise, I believe, which is yes. a, which is you know on. I think it's still on to this day by Warner Music Group. And on Wilco's previous album, Summer Teeth. They had finished the album and they came back and to quote uh, a Tom Petty song who I mentioned earlier, you know, Into the Great Wide Open. The A&R man says, I don't hear a single. So they basically told Jeff Tweedy that when they uh, <laughs> had finished Summer Teeth. Yeah. And they went back and he crafted a song called uh, Can't Stand It, which is the lead track off that album. It's great. I love that song. Always puts a smile on my face. But surprise, surprise, that was not a hit song. Uh, so, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot being their fourth album, uh, I think, you know, there was a little bit of pressure on them. They they gave them a lot of freedom to record in their home studio, which the documentary shows that I mentioned earlier. But they were expecting a hit. Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, they finish it. They present it to Reprise. And the record label says, we don't hear a single. We don't hear, this isn't going to sell. And they literally dropped Wilco. Mm -hmm. And they wound up telling Wilco, hey, you can buy these tracks. I mean, I, I don't know. There's been different stories told about this, from what I understand. And I can't remember if Jeff covers it in his book or not. He might set the record straight, even. I'm, I've read the book, but I forgot that detail. Do you remember? I do, but now, in that or any other place that I could find, I can't find the exact amount that they gave you know, for the rights to this album and all the songs on it. But from everything I've read, it wasn't a whole lot. I yeah. mean, they got it for pennies on the dollar, basically, because the record company did not want to release them. They didn't want anything to do with them. They, I mean, so they, even though they bought them, they pretty much gave them away to Wilco. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's sort of what the the legend has always suggested that they literally handed them the master recordings and said, "Here you go. We can't sell this. You can have it. We're done with you guys." So they get it. And this is the cool part of this story. So who does Jeff Tweedy and his bandmates sign with? They sign with a company called None Such Records, which is a subsidiary of Time Warner Music. They literally <laughs> go right back into the fold with Warner again. And I don't know. Every time I hear War on War, I mean, my kind of interpretation, I kind of think about like all the struggles they had maybe with the the record companies and uh it's a it's a blistering track uh i think 
if, if I'm going to explain why I have it where I do, I guess lyrically there are better songs on the album to me. Mm-hmm. But it's still fantastic. And I, they played this at the first show I saw. It was actually the second song they played after I'm Trying to Break Your Heart. And I can still remember, you know, uh, Leroy Back was in the band at that time. Jay Bennett had, um, had left the band by the time I saw them. Unfortunately, I did not get to see Jay Bennett on stage with the rest of the guys. But I remember like Jeff and Leroy Black back playing their guitars and just that breakdown on that song. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. I have it a little bit higher, so I'll hold most of my thoughts on it. But I agree with everything you did say. And I'll elaborate here a little bit in just a moment. But let's go on into our number nine song at this time. And we'll let you go first this time. Okay. Uh, so number nine. I'm going to cite a song that Brian has already mentioned. I think he gave a very good read on this song, and that track would be Reservations. Uh, Reservations is a very popular uh, song for Wilco live performances. Every show I've seen, all four, they have played this song. And uh, I'll, you know, I mentioned my friend Dave that has uh, gone with me to see two of the four shows, and he loves this song. This song is, I, I dare say, if he was here with us, he would confirm it's his favorite off this album, and that just really shows you the power of all the tracks on this album. Um, I, listen, Reservations is a great song. It's a great closer. Um, I mean, you know, it's just a, a classic, slower, Jeff Tweedy penned tune, and I think uh, Brian is exactly right, I think. You know, he was dealing with a lot of uh, anxiety. He also was uh, dealing with some addiction issues at the time. I think maybe started when Summer Teeth was was being written and recorded, and uh, he's he was still dealing with that when Yankee Hotel Foxtrot came out. And uh, I think reservations came from a lot of a lot of pain. Yeah, I think pretty much this almost entire album came it from did. a lot of pain. It did, it did uh, for sure. My number nine is the tenth track, Poor Places. Uh, and I, once again, really do love this song. Uh, I feel that the narrator of this song is uh, someone who may be lying to themselves uh, when they say that they don't care about others, I, uh, especially those overseas. I think there's a line in there, it makes no difference to me, honey, if they cry overseas. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, you know, this obviously was written. Uh, you can hear my dog in the background. Uh, hold on just one second. We'll pause briefly. <laughs> All right. Sorry about that. We've got the dog calmed down, hopefully for the duration of the rest of this podcast. But I was talking about uh, Poor Places, which is my number nine on here. And, uh, and like I was saying, you know, it's open to interpretation, but I think that the narrator of this song is pretty much trying to convince themselves that they don't care about the suffering that others are going through just for the sheer fact that they, uh, that would be very difficult for them to accept that because that would just be something else for them to be depressed over. Uh, and I don't think Charles has, you've not talked about this one yet, right? I have not. So four, four places a little higher on mine. Yeah. So we'll hold off playing a sample of that, uh, for now and play it when Charles talks about his, but we'll move on into our number eight. Uh, and my number eight, is one that Charles just finished talking about, which is War on War. Okay. And, you know, you talked about 
uh, you know, you put it great, and I agree with everything that you said. And the funny thing, this album was totally conceived, written, produced, and recorded before the tragedy of 9-11. But its original release date was supposed to be September the 11th, from everything I've read. Yep. And there are songs on here that kind of foreshadowed uh, that day and things to come after, like this one could be interpreted if you wanted to to be about you know straight up war or the war on terror which was something that engulfed the entire world for the years to come after 9-11 uh but my favorite line on this song is actually you have to live you have to learn how to die if you want to live and uh that's a that's a very profound song to me that means you have to come to terms with your own mortality if you truly want to use your time here on earth the best you can and enjoy yourself as much as you can. You can't think of yourself as always going to be here and that you're invincible and that's never going to end because it is. And once you accept that fact, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It allows you to live your life to the fullest. Yeah, and you know something? Uh, that's a good point. Uh, I would mention this. You know, when I hear that line, and that is that it, it's a simple-sounding lyric with a lot of depth, you know, I've mentioned Jay Bennett. I don't know how we could do this episode without talking about Jay Bennett. Yeah. He was so critical to the making of this album. Yeah. And but that point you just made, Jay Bennett, for those who don't know, passed away in 2009, and I believe he was 48, 46. He was, he was still a relatively young man, and uh, he was gone much too soon. And, you know, uh, something that I've heard him described as, and I think I, I think John Stewart maybe mentioned this in an interview, talking about uh, Jeff and Jay in the studio when they were making Summer Teeth, and he described Jay Bennett as a mad scientist. And watching that documentary and seeing that footage, even now, 20 years later, uh, you really see that come through with him. Yeah. He the, the man was such a a musical genius and he and Jeff were just wonderful collaborators. I know they, they apparently butted heads and it didn't end so well for them as collaborators, but they were so, so good together. And yeah, that lyric from this song just makes me think about Jay. And I think the man got to really, he, he was having a ball, everything he created. He was just having a ball doing it. Yeah. And, and you, you mentioned Jay and this, you know, this was his last album with them. It was, yep. Uh, right. It was, and like you said, they 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 butted heads, and but like you said, they a lot of times, you know, if there's a little bit of tension between folks, it actually can be a good thing as far as the art they create. And, uh, and like you, the police. Yeah, exactly. Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we'll will now move on to number seven. What is your seven off of Yankee Hotel Foxtrot? Okay, when I when I was putting this list together and I wrote this song beside of number seven, I was just wincing. I couldn't believe it. But this album is that strong. And like I was saying earlier, I think the tiebreaker for me in a lot of cases maybe were just the lyrics. Um, and it's it's so hard. Because like you said, you, you just touched on like profound lyrics, simple lyrics and War on War. Number seven, I've got I'm the Man Who Loves You, which is a song they have played at every live show. It's a staple of Wilco live performances. And it, to me, it is the most rocking song on this album. 
it absolutely is. And I'll go ahead and play a quick sample of that, and then we'll get back real quick and let you talk a little bit okay. more in depth of it. But here is a little bit of I'm the Man Who Loves You. Okay, so go ahead and expand your thoughts on uh, I Am The Man Who Loves You. Okay, uh, yeah, like I was saying, that track is just a fantastic live song to see them play, such energy. And, you know, 20 years later, I'm, I'm a little bit hazy on, on the details, but as I recall, when they played this live in 2002, I think Jeff played an acoustic guitar. As I recall, he said something to, like, I'm going to go, uh, uh, no, I'm not doing electric. And he played it on an acoustic guitar, which is not normally how they play this song. No. Again, maybe my mind's playing tricks on me on this, but I, that's what I recall. I know there was a song where they did that. In, in, and, it, you know, at the time, I didn't know the songs well. They, they were new to me. But every time they have played this song live that I have seen, they, I mean, they just they just shred it. And I think it's the most rocking track on the album. It's a great track. And uh, there's a cool moment in the documentary uh, by Sam Jones where the camera does like a 360 and you see the band sitting there in the studio while this song is just uh, just absolutely ripping over the speakers. And it's, uh, it's really cool. But uh, the horns in this, nice touch. Uh, that's the thing about these tracks. And that's why this album is... Uh, the classic that it is, I feel like, you know, and, and it, you could say this about any song here, the the music, there's so many layered sounds on every track. And again, you had Jeff Tweedy, who I think is a, a true poet, a true musical scholar. I mean, not just a good songwriter. The man knows the history of music. I mean, read his biography and he talks about, talks about being a big Clash fan talks about his dad playing Glenn Campbell in the car and how, you know, he had heard that song. Was it Wichita Lineman? Yeah. I think that was yep, the song. You're he right. talked about that song uh, being played in their car all the time. And, you know, when his dad passed away, I believe, he uh, uh, they played that track, like driving home from the cemetery or something. He said it was, you know, it was a very touching moment. But anyway, this song... Uh, the band just absolutely shreds it on the recorded version, and they do so live, too. I hope everybody gets to see it at least once. Absolutely. Uh, I'll hold my thoughts on that particular song until a little later, but my number seven is the second track, Camera. And uh, this track, I feel, was so far ahead of its time, given its subject matter. I interpret it that you know, when you look at photos of people, they're always usually smiling and appearing to have a great time. But a lot of times those photos can be deceiving. Uh, and coming out 20 years ago before any social media existed or was even thought about, I mean, you can't go online without seeing, you know, influencers on Instagram and other, you know, 
social media apps, uh, posting pictures that look like, you know, they're just on top of the mountain. And, you know, I, I don't know, Charles, if you saw any influencers in the wild before. I did at an airport one time, and they were literally making their kids pose for pictures for like an hour just to get that one perfect picture to put up on their Instagram. And yeah. I was just like, this is performance art. <laughs> yeah, right. And, you know, so to me, that's what camera's about. It's, hey, you know, looking back at pictures, or we're looking at pictures of people, they're smiling, but hey, we all have problems. And even though they may have been perfect in that moment or even faking being, you know, perfectly happy in that moment, they probably wouldn't. Uh, but we'll let you probably talk about your thoughts on camera here because I don't think you've ranked that one yet. It's coming up soon. Uh, I'll go ahead and play a little bit of that and then we'll get straight into our number six pick. Number six is pot kettle black. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, derived from the old saying, the pot calling the kettle black, in which you are, you know, judging someone's actions when you are guilty of those yourself. Uh, and there's a specific line in there. I myself have found a real rival in myself. So I think that the narrator of this song obviously realizes he's a hypocrite <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and is trying to trying to work through that and not judge others. I mean, it, you know, not to quote a Bible verse, but, you know, the plank in your own eye and, and the, uh, you know, the sawdust in your neighbor's eye, that, you know, in, in Jesus' teachings, that's basically the same thing as the pot calling the kettle black. We are all guilty of things that we ain't proud of and, we should probably work on fixing those and not worrying about others that may be guilty of the same thing or different things. Uh, what is your number six, Charles? My number six is Ashes of American Flags, which is a great song, lyrically, some of Jeff Tweedy's best writing. Um, and you had touched on it a little bit earlier, Brian, about the, the illusions that people had perceived to 9-11. Mm -hmm, and as mm -hmm. we know... Uh, the recording sessions for Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, I think, stretched from the end of 2000, I believe, in the documentary it talks about, and maybe even pops a date up there and shows definitively that they went into their their home studio, The Loft, and began uh, writing and recording this album in late 2000. And I, it was it was finished in 2001, um, and I believe... How, now, correct me if I'm wrong on this, that when they first got the tracks, they made them available for free digitally through their website? That, they, they absolutely did. And uh, and that was actually several months before they officially released them yeah. in April of twenty or 2002. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously we touched earlier that they got, you know, the master records for these tracks and owned them. And they just put them out there for the world to hear and was very one of the very first artists to do so. 
I mean, for you youngsters out there, at this time, songs wasn't at our fingertips. You had to go to the store and buy physical media. I mean, yeah, there was Napster, but uh, if you, it was illegal, and if you wanted to download a song, the internet was so slow, it would take half a day just to get one song. So that was very, very much on the cutting edge, and so far ahead of its time, you know, 20-plus years later, if a song's out, an album's out, it's literally, we can get it within a second just by clicking on a link mm. on our phones. I mean... The, the, I remember when my first cell phone weighed about eight pounds. Yeah. <laughs> and th just thinking that it could hold a song was crazy, crazy. And I remember my first iPod was the little iPod shuffle that looked like a stick of gum. Yep. And you could put maybe a 50 or 100 songs on there. And I thought that was just the greatest thing of all time to have, you know, a few dozen of my favorite songs, you know, in my pocket that I could listen to. And it, we've come so far, but you're 100% correct, Charles. They just put the album out for the world to hear for free right on their website. Yeah, and and you know, something I want to say about Ashes of American Flags, like I said, I think it features some of Jeff's best lyric uh, writing. Uh, there's some vivid imagery, uh, falling leaves filling up shopping bags. Uh, he talks about, uh, I shake like a toothache. Uh, and again, I think it. there's definitely allusions to you know, the anxiety, the nervous condition he was dealing with, the uh, perhaps crippling fear. I mean, we have to think about where Wilco was at at this point. I mean, I, I can just imagine the scary thought that crossed their mind when it's like you've been dropped by your record label. Yeah. They poured everything into this album. And, you know, bands like Wilco, even to this day, and this was something that I wanted to, to mention during this episode, uh, you know, Brian and I live in the same town, and we went to the same high school. We're from the same generation. And there are just not many people here where we live that even know who Wilco is as a band. Let, let me tell a quick story about that. Uh, as, as my longtime listeners know, I had a radio show every Sunday. And one Sunday, I instead of talking, I just put on this entire album and let it play through. And I'm pretty sure that's why I lost my radio show. Because <laughs> wow. it wasn't long after that until uh, the owner came in and basically said that, you know, we're a country station and, and you're not playing country. <laughs> oh, jeez. Well, I said, so I said, okay. <laughs> that's, when, that's when you put Pot Kettle Black on and you say, listen to that twanging guitar. <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on, Wilco. Wilco, definitely. This album blends uh, alternative rock, uh, alternative country. Uh pop music definitely and it does it brilliantly but i don't know i'm obviously i'm biased yeah but uh yeah ashes of american flags uh just as a track um uh, geez it's a it's kind of a it's kind of a downer of a tune but it it's powerful and i still love it and yes. i hate that i've had to put it number six on this list um i'll go ahead and 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 break you know Tradition, just for the sure fact, it's my next song. It's my number five. So okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play a little bit of it, and then I'll get back and I'll give my thoughts on Ashes of American Flags.
So we are talking about Ashes of American Flags. Charles talked about it. It's his number six and my number five. And I agree with everything he said, and I don't have a lot to add to it other than the fact, you know, at the very last line is talking about, you know, ashes of an American flag that has been burned. And I don't interpret that as burning it in protest of the American government or, you know, our country, but the fact that the flag itself is, and America itself is so consumer-driven now, and, you know, because he mentions other stuff through their products, mm-hmm. Coca-Cola and things of that nature, that uh, it's, it's, it's almost become uh, worthless. And it is a symbol of, you know, the commercialization of America about how everyone's just obsessed with getting more and more stuff. I think George Carlin had a whole comedy routine about that that, mm-hmm. that we won't repeat on here for sensitive ears, but if you want to look that up, I recommend it. But yeah, I mean that's my thoughts on it. It's a great song. It's it's my number uh, five, and I'm gonna go ahead and let Charles talk about his number five now. All right, my number five was uh, one I promised was coming up soon and that you have discussed uh, so well already, and that song is Camera. And Camera was actually the third song that was played at the first Wilco Live show I saw, and again. Uh, I'm trying to break your heart, like hooked me first track, then just the energy on war on war and then camera. They just, they just fired into it. And again, it's got a very prominent, uh, familiar guitar opening. And, uh, I thought you had a really interesting take on that song that, uh, you know, a song that I know so deeply that I've heard for years. I've played for years. Uh, and I'll say this real quick, you know, I, I spent a lot of time, uh, driving between my home and uh, the college campus, you know, where I, where I went to school. I, I was obviously there during the week, but I would come home on the weekends. Many times driving in my car, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot was playing. And fast forward a, a couple years, when I was in grad school, uh, the next Wilco album, A Ghost is Born, was played a lot in my vehicle as I was driving to and fro. But uh, camera... Uh, you know, he talks about, uh, tell my family I'm on the sidewalk. And one of the things that you really hear a lot on this album, uh, across many tracks, there's a lot of references to cities, city life, cityscapes. Um, and I always, that really, it's so vividly detailed by Jeff. And you can just kind of see it. And, and I think, again, you know, we talked about it. I think the 9-11 references. And you just think about America at that point. You know, people were hearing this album, the ones, you know, that, that were taking the time to discover it. And they were hearing, you know, these these uh, lyrics that reference cities, city life, maybe uh, depression, uh, dealing with some major life challenges. And America had just dealt with a major ordeal like nothing that uh well anyone in i think our lifetime probably has seen and i think you'd have to go back to world war ii era for anything that compares and i know much has been said written about that so i won't rehash it but uh you know i think you know that's the neat thing about art even though these songs were written and recorded before the event people were able to 
make some connections and, and find things in those songs. And, and Jeff has talked about that. He wrote about that in his book. And I know the great Bob Dylan has done the same. You know, I think a good songwriter, uh, listeners can hear those amazing lyrics and parse out some really interesting takes that maybe the writer themselves did not expect to call forth. And I think that, uh, I think camera is one of those tracks for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great, great discussion with Charles so far. We're going to take a brief break to run an ad and hopefully make myself a little money. But then we will get back. We only have four songs left each. And I'm just curious if any, if we have any particular song ranked in the same position, because we haven't so far, uh, I don't think. Uh, but we'll take a real brief break and be right back with our top four songs from Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. We are back, and we are down to the final four songs on Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. Once again, I'm joined by Charles Hurl. He and I have been discussing this album in depth, song by song. We'll get right back into it now and let him give us his number four song on the album. Okay, number four is a song that we've already covered. Uh, for anybody keeping track, uh, that song is Radio Cure. Okay, let's let's play it because we haven't played any of it yet. Let's do it. And then we'll get back in and talk about it again, okay? All right, sounds good. Okay, so tell our listeners, I've already given my thoughts on Radio Cure, but go ahead and uh, give your thoughts on it, Charles, and, and why you have it where you do. All right. Um, Radio Cure, again, I'm going to go back to that first Wilco show. That is not only the fourth track on this list, for me, the number four. It was the fourth song that was played at that first Wilco show. And I just remember Jeff being on that stage, he was playing the guitar. The rest of the band kind of comes in. And uh, the song really picks up, uh, like, just sonically as it goes along. It's not really a fast tempo song at all. And, you know, I mean, one of the lyrics is, there is something wrong with me, you know, uh, which is a very, obviously, difficult admission, I think, that we all make, uh, maybe at some point in our lives, you know, when we are feeling down or, struggling with a, a life choice or a decision or, you know, I think, you know, Jeff being gripped by depression, it was probably, there's something wrong with me and how, how do I, how do I face this? How do I move past this? What, what do I, what do I do to, to change this feeling so that something is not wrong with me? Uh, you know, feeling like an alien in your own skin, I suppose. And I just think, I think radio cures are really, um, powerful song and like I said it really starts to swell uh, the tempos change and I think definitely like the layered sounds I was talking about earlier 
I think, uh, again, I think uh, Jeff Tweedy and uh, the mad scientist in the studio, Jay Bennett. And also we got to talk about, uh, you know, I know Jeff Tweedy has, has talked about his collaborations with Jim O'Rourke. Uh, they were uh, they were even in a band together. Uh, oh, geez, what was the name of it? You remember, Brian? Uh, there was a trio, Minus... Minus trio, ah, minus three or something. I, I can't, I can't remember. But anyway, it's uh, Jeff Tweedy, Jim O'Rourke, and John uh, Stewart, and uh, they, you know, Jim O'Rourke has, was a collaborator with Wilco. He mixed and engineered this record, and I think that also created some of the, from what I've read, and and you kind of see in the documentary, created some of the tension between uh, Jeff Tweedy and Jay Bennett. But I think, you know, definitely like layering of sounds on this track is just uh, phenomenal and really adds to the overall effect. Uh, well said, well said. My number four uh, is Heavy Metal Drummer. I'm going to play a little bit of that because we didn't play it earlier when you talked about it, and then I'll get back into my thoughts of it. thoughts on heavy metal drummer is you know earlier i mentioned it may very well be the most accessible song on the album to the casual music listener and on my initial listens of the album it's the probably the one that was stuck in my head like an earworm the most in that time you know 20 years ago when i you know in my dorm room that i would sing to myself you know any given moment of the day whether i was you know taking a shower or walking the class and it's probably one of the most straightforward songs as far as the subject matter on it. It's, to me, 100% about nostalgia and of your youth. If you read Jeff Tweedy's book, he talks in depth about how much he loved going to concerts and music where he lived, I think, in St. Louis at the time growing up. And uh, it's just basically looking back uh, with fondness of those days, uh, playing Kiss Covers, Beautiful and Stoned. I mean, any, any musician that has ever started out has been there uh, playing, you know, covers of another band. For him, it was Kiss. Uh, for others, it's, you know, other bands. I think probably the most, I'd say if you're learning guitar, one of the first riffs almost every new guitarist has ever played is probably Smoke on the Water. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and, you know, Kiss songs are pretty easy to pick up too when you're learning to play. Uh, not that that's a bad thing. I'm not trying to put down Kiss so the Kiss armor don't come after me. Uh, but I, you know, Heavy Metal Drummer is a song that I sung a lot then and I catch myself singing to myself still today, 20 hour, uh, 20 years on. So that is my number four. Charles, we're down to the final three. What do you have? The final three. Okay. I'm going to cite a song that Brian has already talked about. And, uh, again, I, I could have put, several tracks in this spot i think but ultimately I've, I've listened to the album for i don't know uh, the thousandth time probably over the weekend and 
I just this song just kept coming back to me, and so I put it number three. And that song is "Poor Places," which is uh, you know one of the latter tracks on the album. But I tell you, you know, when I think of this song, I think of the emotion in Jeff's voice as that song progresses. Mm -hmm. Let's. Uh, I don't think we've played that one yet. Okay. So I don't want to interrupt you, but I want to make sure we do at least you know give a sample of each song on the album. So let's. Let's play just a little bit of that, and then we'll get back and talking about it. Okay, here is, uh, here's a little bit of Poor Places, which is Charles's number three pick. So go ahead and expand your thoughts on Poor Places, Charles, which is uh, your third song on the album, and it was my number nine, and I was just telling you off air that I probably should have had it ranked higher. <laughs> but it, go ahead. It, it was such an impossible task, truly. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I could I could junk this list and try to make a new one in a month, and it might look totally different. But yeah, when I was making this list, I kept coming back to Poor Places, and it just felt right in the number three spot. Uh, again, lyrically, I think it's a phenomenal uh, composition. I think musically, again, it just is another one of those songs that just builds. And I don't know, I think maybe vocally, it's maybe Jeff's best performance on this album for me because there's just so much, uh, so much emotion you hear in his voice. And, you know, as the song, you know, just kind of builds to its crescendo... And you hear, you know, that voice come on that, that uh, you know, re repeats the album name. You know, we hear a uh, female voice saying Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. Oh, yeah. You know, and it's kind of like, you know, the the name of this album itself, which I think, you know, I think is apparent to, to probably anybody. It sounds like a, a code, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like that's kind of what it, that voice coming on there indicates. It's uh, It makes you think of somebody like on a radio transmission, uh which, of course, again, is a theme and, and visuals that Jeff touches on so much. I mean, he's got a song on here called Radio Cure. Mm -hmm. And, and, he, and he, he, he tends to use lyrics that reference music, listening to music, uh, what music does to you on a lot of his uh, works. But, uh, yeah, you, you hear that song, the way it just builds, and, the, and then it just ends like in fuzz and distortion and it's just great and then we go into uh to the next track like immediately it just yep. it just immediately shifts into uh what pot kettle black yeah i believe yeah yeah and and you mentioned he you know he references other music and they actually reference one the one song on here actually a reference is another song on here at the end of it which i'll uh, which i'll get to here in a little bit it does, yep. and uh we will now move on to the top two i'll start and my number two is one that charles talked about earlier and that is i'm the man no hold on a minute i got to get my number three i've jumped i've jumped a gun sorry my number three is jesus etc right. 
And I'll play it real quick and then get back to talking about it. And I apologize, folks. I jumped the gun and almost left out one of the best songs on the album. But here's a little bit of Jesus, etc. That was a little bit of my number three song, Jesus, etc. And uh, Charles hasn't got to talk about this, so obviously he's got it ranked high on his list too. But to me, it's basically uh, telling someone that you love. I don't know whether it be romantic love or, you know, love like you have to a family member or a very close friend that you're there for. Them. I mean, Jesus don't cry. You can rely on me, honey. You can come by any time. That's basically telling that person, no matter when and where, middle of the night, if you feel that you need to talk or you need to help, I'll be here for you. And uh, I absolutely love this song. Uh, I was telling Charles earlier off air, the opening line to that song may be the best on the entire album as far as an opening line goes. Uh, that's obviously up to debate. But that's my number three, Jesus, etc., and Charles has not talked about that yet, so he'll hold his thoughts, and we will move on to his number two. All right, number two. Uh, so there's two tracks left, obviously. Anybody keeping up, you probably have figured it out. One I've talked about quite a bit, and one Brian just talked about. But my number two is the album opener, I Am Trying to Break Your Heart. Also, the song that inspired the title of the Sam Jones documentary that I keep mentioning. Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, that was the song that just hooked me in immediately. That was the first song they played at the 2002 show there at the Brown Theater. And like I said, when Glenn uh, Coachy started with playing the drums, you know, that's the opening of this song, just a great opening. Uh, and then Jeff starts singing and with these totally psychedelic lyrics. And, you know, I remember reading something years ago, and they said that this was the album where Jeff lyrically started getting weird. And, uh, you know, that's not meant as an insult at all. It just means that he had, I mean, just like Dylan. I mean, he he is a, he's a definitely a Bob Dylan disciple, and like everybody is, I think. That's a good songwriter. I mean... Uh, Dylan's probably the all-time great, but uh, I'm Trying to Break Your Heart, I think, is very much, I've always thought it's in the spirit of a Bob Dylan song. I've always thought that. I always will. They've played this song at every show that I've seen live in person, and every time that song still hits me with the same power that it, it did at that first show, and every time I put this album on, I'm not going to skip this track. Uh, I think the, the runtime is, what, like six minutes? And, oh, yeah. and again, it's it's got those layered sounds. I mean, I I think there's a there's like an out of tune piano going at one point that you hear, and man, it's just such a great composition. 
And just the, just the title of this song, I Am Trying to Break Your Heart. Like, I don't know. That's To me, that's just an audacious title for a song, you know, to start with. But it's it's brilliant, and I love it, and it's my number two. And like I said, it's it's not it's not far behind the number one song on this list. Yep, and I mentioned earlier that he references himself on this, and if yes. I'm not mistaken, at the very end of "I'm Trying to Break Your Heart," he says, "I'm the man who loves you." Is that correct? Yes, correct. It, which, yep. speaking of which, "I'm the man who loves you" is my number two song on the album. Yeah. And I don't think we've played it yet. We'll play it briefly, and then I'll get back into my thoughts on that. So back to I'm the Man Who Loves You, uh, that to me is, is a simple song in a way, but a brilliant song. I know there's a line in there, uh, all I see is black and white, pink, pink blades of blue. That's obviously a sheet of paper. Uh, and he, the I guess the narrator of this song is trying to write a love letter to someone, be it someone who they are hoping to get together with, or maybe someone who they have broken up with to let them know they love them. And we've all been there probably, and maybe not necessarily in that type of letter, but something that we've write and we've just stared at the, you know, the blank piece of paper, hoping to be able to put the words down that our mind is thinking and do it properly. But uh, Charles, you, you talked a little bit about this earlier. Uh, you had it ranked, what'd you have it ranked? I actually had it ranked number seven. Yeah. And you and uh, I don't know if you have anything you want to add to it that you didn't say earlier because we're pretty much almost done. We've just got one song left to each. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm the man who loves you again. It's a staple of Wilco live shows. It it's is. A, it's a high energy song, and just you know, yeah. just watching them just just rip this song off is always just uh, always just a lot of fun, and, and the fans absolutely enjoy it. And and you know, one thing I'll just touch on, which I, I mentioned a little bit earlier, you know, being from where we hail from and not really knowing a lot of people personally that are familiar with Wilco or are Wilco fans, that's something I I've picked up on every time I go to a Wilco show. It's like I'm surrounded by people just like me that are from other places and love this band and love their music. And, you know, I, that's one of my favorite parts of going to the show. It's not just the music. It's just the total ambiance of having these folks that have this deep connection to this band and what they have created and their love of it. I've really always, the four shows I've gone to, you just feel it. Uh, I agree with that a hundred percent. And not a lot of artists are like that. Uh, the only one that comes to mind quickly for me, in which it's a, a very much a communal experience if you see them live, is Pearl Jam. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know. Do you? I, I know you. That's another band that you love, but we may do yeah. a Pearl Jam episode on down the road in season two. Uh, but you're 100 percent right. And I, I mentioned earlier that 
heavy metal drummer was the one that I've seen myself to myself the most off this album. But I'll say, especially live, I'm the man who loves you is probably the one that I like singing along with the band the most because you said the audience is always into it and yep. everybody is singing every word yep. to that song when they do it live. And uh, before we get to our number one song, uh, we do want to mention that this album is getting a deluxe release later this year. And we were talking amongst ourselves on what version of that we're going to pick up because you can just get a, a regular deluxe version for maybe 30 bucks. But they've got the, a super deluxe, or I don't know what for sure they're calling it, which is a couple hundred bucks that maybe I hope to get for my birthday or something because I couldn't justify spending that on it myself. <laughs> but uh, are you going to pick that up in some form or fashion? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm definitely going to get some version of it. I'm going to hold on to my cherished original copy. But yeah, yeah I've got to definitely... Uh, upgrade. I'm I'm anxious to hear the alt takes. You you hear a little bit of it on the the DVD release. Uh, the second disc has some alt takes of some of the tracks and just some uh, demo recordings. You hear it throughout the documentary. Just different versions of the songs, and that's fascinating, especially when it's songs that you love to hear those different versions. Yeah, absolutely. And I was telling you earlier that you know I have you know the original album on vinyl and it was very hard for me to find it was one of the three or four that I, I wanted to get when I first started getting into vinyl and it took me several years to find a copy of it that was at a reasonable price uh, so anybody that's listening to this show that's a fan of Wilco I'm sure you already know about this deluxe release uh, but they have released I think one song off of it to streaming so far I listened to it earlier yeah uh, earlier and you know a couple weeks ago like what I heard like you, I'm I'm very excited to hear a lot of these alternate takes and demos. They're gonna have a bunch of live songs on there. But I guess uh, you know we've come this far, and it's time to do our number one. Charles, I'll give you the honor of going first. What's your favorite song on this album? All right. Well, there's only one song left, so uh, drum roll. Uh, it's Jesus, etc. And it's not just uh, my favorite song on this album. It's uh, one of my favorite songs period. Um, I, I'm not sure when I pinpointed that it was my favorite on this, off of this release, but it was, it was pretty early on. And also I keep referencing back to that first show where I got introduced to the band. They actually did not play this song during that show, but they have played it at every show since. And it's also, <laughs> yeah, it's, well, it, and it just shows the, the stature of this song and you know, you can you can go online and, and see the high regard the song is has achieved over time. I think, gosh, Pitchfork, Rolling Stone, all these different publications have named it as one of the top tracks of the decade in which it was released, and I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, we've talked about the the imagery in some of these songs, you know, and certainly given the time period when this album was being heard you know when people heard the lyrics uh, tall buildings shake voices escape singing sad sad songs obviously their minds turned turn to 9-11 and he wrote these lyrics before the tragedy occurred but even just separating that it's just really just amazing songwriting just a interesting turn of phrase and the song just has this I don't know the tempo. It's just it's just spot on, and just the way the song just moves, 
And again, there's 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 uh, strings in this song, strings in this song that are like really prominently featured. There's a lot of layered sounds, and there's a lot of uh, just emotion you hear in his his singing. It's a uh, I don't know. It's it's a song, and I I think some of the best songs do this. It's it's on the one hand, it's a very sad song, but on the other hand, there's something comforting about it as well. I agree with that 100. percent And I actually um my last episode about the Avon brothers, they have several songs that inflict both of those emotions in me. And I agree, Jesus, et cetera, absolutely does. Like you said, it's heartbreaking, but at the same time, there's almost a calmness to it, uh, a common ability for me. If I'm feeling anxious, you might not necessarily think listening to a song that is depressing can help that, but that particular song in me has, has the ability to calm me sometimes when I listen to it. Well, and you know, Brian, the the last lyrics, the last words you hear of this song, turning your orbit around. I mean, you could, you can interpret that line, I guess, different ways. To me, I've always heard that, and I think the song concludes on a hopeful note. That's how I read it. Now, again, it's it's ambiguous, uh, as as Mr. Tweedy uh, tends to do when he's writing um, his his songs. But I've always thought that that song concluded on a hopeful note. That's how I hear it as it as it fades out. I agree with you 100%. Turning your orbit around, I mean, to me that means basically, you know, turn around your, not necessarily your life, but where you are in life at that moment. You are very much maybe stuck in a rut, and and, you know, it ends on a very hopeful note. It does not begin on one, but it definitely ends on one, I feel. Mm-hmm. And before I get to number one, as this is pretty much the end of the road for this particular episode, I once again thank Charles. He's done so good. He's done well enough that if I can talk him into it, I'm going to bring him on for another one in the fall for season two. We'll have to just figure out what that is. Well, we have to make sure that the audience actually enjoys listening well, to this conversation. Well, I, I'm sure they will. I've enjoyed I've, I've got I got big shoes to fill. I'm I'm coming after Jason on this wonderful Sturgill Simpson episode. And then of course the the best episode recorded so far was uh, you know, Dixie Combs as a guest host uh, for the <laughs> Abbott brothers. Uh, I can't fill those shoes, but you know, I can try. You've done fantastic, and uh, I've loved every minute of this entire conversation that we've had and the one we had leading up to the actual recording of this podcast. We've been working on this one for a couple of weeks now, and uh, I'll say this on my uh, before I get into my very last song. You know, I listened to this album probably around three or four times a day for the last three days, and, you know... I mentioned earlier it changed the way I, I listen to music, but it's one of the few albums that I have listened to consistently for years and two decades now since its release that when I go back to it, I always find something new. And that's hard to do on an album that you've literally listened to thousands of times. But like you said, it's just so nuanced and so layered. And especially if you listen with a really good pair of headphones or earbuds, you're just picking up on stuff that's layered in, maybe in the background notes that you hadn't heard before and he's like man that's just so good all that being said my number one obviously if you've been keeping score at home it is the lead track off the album i'm trying to break your heart and like you said earlier what a title yeah i mean just the title of that song is 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 just so good and it's so 
I mean, that's not something you see a lot of for somebody just to come out and say, hey, I'm trying to break your heart here. I'm trying to make, I'm trying to make you sad. I'm trying to mess you up. And we mentioned earlier our introduction to Will Cohen. Obviously, this was the first song of theirs I've heard, and it's what made me fall in love with this album and what made me fall in love with them as a band. And it's, one, it's probably my favorite song of theirs, period, to be honest with you. Period, out of their entire catalog. And probably one of my five or ten favorite songs ever from anybody. And I pretty much think the narrator of this song is is drinking. Uh, and I also think he's probably driving because he refers to himself as an assassin. So he's driving around, sold down on his luck over maybe a, a breakup that he's got a death wish not for himself, but anybody that gets in his way maybe. And I've always wanted, if I was better at technology, to dub this over the montage in Rocky Ford, in which Rocky drives around <laughs> after Drago kills Apollo. Uh, <laughs> and when he drives around angrily in his Ferrari. But anyway, getting back to I'm Trying to Break Your Heart, it's, it's a brilliant song. And, you know, at the time, I, I was listening to, you know, still I was stuck in the 90s, even though this was early 2000s. So, uh, you know, Pearl Jam was probably at the time my favorite band and remained so for a while longer. But I was talking with our friend Chase uh, last year when we saw Wilco, how ever since I began listening to them 20 years ago, they have slowly climbed up my rankings of my favorite artist of all times to where they're now right there at the top. I mean, it goes, it's just them and a couple other artists. And I can't wait for the deluxe edition of this album and their new album that they've got coming out too this year. So there's no shortage of Wilco for the folks out there to listen to if you're a longtime fan or if you're a new fan. And before I play a little bit of I'm Trying to Break Your Heart to Close the Show, Charles, if someone who's listening to this podcast has never really listened to Wilco, maybe only heard them in passing or never listened to them at all, mm-hmm. What are your feelings on what album they should start with? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I've, I've got to be honest. I've obviously started with this one. Um, I don't think you could go wrong. But at the same time, you know, there's also the thought, do you want to start with a band at their absolute peak? Do you want to start with that? Um, I would also say, you know, I think being there, is a great intro. Uh, it's a more, um, I think, country, alt-country uh, influenced album. But there's some, there's, it's a, it's a double album. It's got several tracks on it. And I think it really, it really captures where the band sort of started, where they really started finding themselves. And uh, I mean, if you like what you hear and you want to go see a Wilco show, there's a lot of songs on that album that they play live in concert, especially a song like Misunderstood. Misunderstood is a, is a great uh, live uh, show, and I've seen them perform it like in a very quiet manner, and I've seen them absolutely thrash out uh, like where it's just a really wild sort of live performance. So I think being there is a great album to start with, but again, you can't go wrong with Yankee Hotel Foxtrot either. You couldn't, and I would, I would throw in Summer Teeth in there too. Yep. Uh, and I'll say this uh, before we close it down for the episode. If 
you ever get the chance to see them live and you and you haven't, please do. They're such a phenomenal live band. And like Charles said, they don't just play the album versions of the songs when they take the stage. Uh, I mean, to me, that's the mark of a good band that can take a song that they've got recorded and even make, make it even better live. Some of the songs on any of their albums I prefer live, even though I love them on the actual studio recording. And also... Uh, I want once again thank Charles. It's been phenomenal. We've talked for almost two hours now. Uh, wow. This, this is going to be a long episode, but it's one of my favorites so far throughout the season. I hope you all enjoy it as much as I've had recording it with Charles, and we're definitely going to bring him back if he agrees to do so in season two. But to close us out, until next time, here is a little bit of my favorite Will Cole's song of all time, and obviously my favorite on Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, I Am Trying to Break Your Heart. Thank you all for listening, and thank you once again, Charles, for being here. Thank you, Brian. One Show with Brian Combs is brought to you by Thatcher Barbecue Company and is written, produced, and recorded by me, Brian Combs. You can look me up on social media, on Twitter at That One Show BC, on Instagram at That One Show with Brian Combs, on Facebook at That One Show Podcast and on Patreon at That One Show. So go follow us along on any of those sites, and please subscribe on iTunes or Spotify, whichever you prefer. And finally, if you are enjoying this show, I ask from the bottom of my heart that you recommend it to at least one other person with whom you feel would enjoy it as well. Until next time, this has been That One Show with Brian Combs.